Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. When Taylor Raymeyer was six years old, she was diagnosed with a rare form of brain cancer called ganglioglioma. It was something she has dealt with for quite some time. Modern medicine didn't cure her, but cannabis oil likely did. And joining us from Florida to tell her story is Taylor's mother, Karen Owen. Karen, good of you to do this. Thanks very much. Thank you for the opportunity to share this information. Hopefully it can help others. What has this journey been like for you over the years? It has been a living hell, to be perfectly honest with you. Until the point that we got her on cannabis, we started losing hope for quite a long time. So it's been a very, very long, difficult journey. Take us back to the day when Taylor was six and you got the doctor's diagnosis of a brain tumor. Taylor had been um, playing in my glider rocker in the family room, and all of a sudden she took a major spill off of it and hit her head on our foosball table. So um, I called the hospital and told them what had happened because I let her watch TV with her father and she had fallen asleep. And I'd asked him to do a concussion watch on her. And uh, when I woke her up, she started projectile vomiting. So I called the hospital and they assured me that there were many viruses going around and it was probably viral and just to keep her under concussion watch and watch the um, pupils for dilation. So I basically stayed awake all night watching her, waking her every 45 minutes. And when I would wake her up, she would vomit. So I quit waking her up and I just kept my hand on her back all night just to make sure she was breathing. And uh, the next morning, we were out running errands, and she told me she didn't feel well. So I took her home, and she beat me out of the car and was already laying on the couch. And so I went in and started preparing her lunch, and all of a sudden, she just shot straight up into a sitting position, and her eyes were darting all over the room. And um, she was breathing really fast. It's what they call an absent seizure, I now know. At the time, I thought maybe she had, from hitting her head, possibly had brain swelling or something. And I kept calling her name, no response. So I got close to her, and her whole body went limp, and her eyes rolled back in her head. So I grabbed her up, called 911. We um, rushed her to the hospital by ambulance where they did a CT scan and found a 3.4 centimeter mass in her left temporal lobe of her brain right alongside of her left ventricle. So it actually took us about three weeks to get her into an MRI due to all of the insurance issues and them sending her to facilities not prepared for six-year-old children who needed full sedation. And uh, the next morning, 
the um, Taylor's primary care doctor called us, and I didn't want to answer the phone. <laughs> it was 8.30 in the morning, and it was a call from her home, and I, my mom kept telling me to answer it, and I was like, Mom, doctors don't call you from home at this time of the day. Well, we got the worst news of my life when the primary care doctor told me that Taylor had brain cancer and that we needed to go back to the hospital immediately. So we went and met with Dr. Jeffrey Ojimon, who is one of the top five pediatric neurosurgeons in the world, and he informed us of what he felt her tumor type was and thought that she would be okay, but unfortunately, when they sent us home, we were getting ready to go to Florida to Disney World, and Taylor started having five to ten grand mal seizures a day. So we went back, and ten days later, they did her first brain surgery, where they separated her cerebellum from her left temporal lobe and retracted the left temporal lobe an inch and a half into the skull for five hours of surgery. So as a side effect of that, my child has lost um, 25% of her upper right quadrant vision in both eyes. It's called a visual field cut and has suffered um, cognitive failures in the language control center as far as reading and things go. But she's actually a miracle because she still speaks. Wow. Karen, I'm wondering what goes through a parent's mind when you're told that your child at six years of age is diagnosed with a brain tumor. I don't think that my mind was capable of really processing everything at the time. Um, I had already lost a child at 19 days of age, and um, no mother is prepared to hear a death sentence on their second young child. Um, Basically, I think I got through it all just through faith, prayer, and PTSD, because I remember after Taylor was finally cured, I was vacuuming one day, and I just fell to my knees. I was like, oh my God, we really did go on that journey. You know, you just kind of go through it in a, a numb phase of life. I mean, I was cognitive. I could think of the choices I was making and things, but I just really couldn't even begin to feel it all. It was so overwhelming. Almost like you were maybe on autopilot. Yeah, definitely so. I mean, I would have my moments. I mean, the shower (laughs) was always my time. When I would get in the shower, that was where I would cry because my daughter couldn't see me crying there. You're not the first person to say that. That's interesting. You're not the first one. No. Now, as a parent, you know, they look to us for their strength and how to handle a situation. So, you know, the worst part for me of the whole thing was when um, they did her first surgery and they um, unfortunately took us in while they gassed her to sleep. And children read around when they're being gassed. And my poor daughter kept looking at me and telling me, I'm being really good, huh, Mom? I'm doing really good. And, mm. you know, all she knows is she's going to sleep, she's going to wake up, and it's going to be gone. I know that my child could die or that she may very well not ever walk or talk again after that initial surgery. So I felt like the biggest liar and fraud in the world. 
sitting there trying to keep a smile on my face and looking at my precious precious child thinking this is going to be a snap. Now, after the operation, what happened after that in terms of treatment for Taylor? Um, well, Taylor's had two brain surgeries. At the five-year mark, the tumor returned. We had known since day one after the surgery that there was a small nodule of interest that they were watching still. And so five years later, the nodule started growing again. So at the age of 11, she had a second brain surgery that was pretty much the same as the first. Except at that surgery, she had such a terrible outcome. She was kept in rehab for three additional weeks and basically had given up on life, didn't want to live, didn't want she went on food and water strike. And her surgeon had told us at that time that she was now inoperable, that because of her outcome and as much brain tissue as he had taken, he could not in good faith go in and do any more surgeries on her, which I knew at that time meant that we were left with no options because no, no chemotherapy and no radiation works on a ganglioglioma. Until about a year later when her tumor started growing again. So we started watching it for a year and then it doubled in size. And that's when proton radiation had become available. So Taylor was a candidate for proton radiation and we were flown to Philadelphia where we lived for three months and she underwent 30 rounds of proton radiation and that made her the first person in the world to receive proton radiation for this rare tumor type. What was Which, uh, what was it like when she was going through the uh, radiation? She hadn't had any other radiation, correct? No. Taylor had always been healthy. I mean, she was the kid that was breaking arms and things, but mm. no real true illnesses. Um Radiation was as scary as you can imagine. Um, They take you in and they make this mask made out of mesh that they stretch over your head and strap you to a table. They had to give her Valium and um, fentanyl in order for her to get through the radiation therapies. And um, after about a week, she was standing in the bathroom one day and called me in. And all the left side of her hair was gone from the front to the back of her head, where just one brush had taken out all that hair. Wow. And after that, the skin became burning red. We had to use lidocaine, aquaphor. And that was the first time that my daughter became aware of the fact that this could actually kill her because she kept... I'm sorry, it's hard. She kept no, begging fine. me. She kept begging me to please take her home. She oh. didn't want to do this anymore. And I had to explain to her that this was our last option, and that if she didn't do this, she would die. And so she buckled up. You know, she bucked up and she got through it. We we did it. But unfortunately, it sounds great. Yay! I get. To to be the first person to be cured with this, but we were the guinea pigs because there was there was no protocol for this. Mm. And so, unfortunately, the radiation started working, 
but six months later it stopped and the tumor started growing again. So that was when I was already a cannabis patient in the state of Washington and my dispensary owner found out about my daughter and he told me about the cannabis oil and um, helped me to get in touch with a doctor that handled children in the state of Washington. And that was when I shared everything with my entire family to get their opinion and um, shared Run From the Cure by Rick Simpson. And every family member was on board and said, yes, let's do this. So we started the treatment on um, originally RSO, but then we changed over to FICO, full extract cannabis oil, which is made a little differently. It doesn't have the solvents or the isopropyl alcohol. It's made with a pure um, organic moonshine. Yeah, and it's a whole plant extract as opposed to that the original RSO recipe calls for just using bud. Yes, whereas um, and Kat Jeter in the state of Washington, we, um, her company is Deep Green, um, is an absolutely amazing, amazing woman, and she has developed a process that makes such a complete medicine that all of the um, markers that we're aware of are in her medication. It is definitely a strong medicine, but we had great success with Taylor. We, um, When we went back into the doctors, after I only had her on it about three weeks, and uh, this was the next visit after the spike upward on the tumor, mm-hmm. and they came in and they said, we've got to get our machine fixed and have you come back. And I just kind of giggled and I said, why is that? And they said, well, because the tumor went up and now it went down. And after radiation, it doesn't go up and down, up and down. It either goes all down or it starts going up. And I laughed and I said, no, your machine's not broken. And I told them about what we were doing with putting her on the full extract cannabis oil, and they said, well, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And for the first time in two and a half years, we went from a three-month MRI protocol to a six-month MRI protocol. Wow. So I – go ahead. Sorry. Could, could you tell it was working before you had the MRI? Could you notice – were there some subtle changes that were ind- indicative of it turning in the right direction? No. No. Um, this is – when Taylor was first diagnosed, she had the seizure. So, you know, it was obvious that she had the issue. But um, after her second surgery, she was only on anti-epileptics for five months. So we hadn't had any seizure activity in so long that I had no markers, no way of knowing. It was pretty much a blind disease for her. Mm. Karen, how much did she take each day? Okay, well, I started titrating her up. I started on a rice grain a day, and then, unfortunately, with Taylor's, with the rate of growth, we had to really kind of speed it up quickly. So Be aggressive. I titrated. Yeah, we were very aggressive. And so um, I did the 60 grams in 90-day protocol, and I got her up to a gram a day. And she was on that dose for approximately 35 days. 
And then because we had a whole three months left before the next MRI, Kat Jeter and I had decided that for safety's sake, we would keep her on a quarter gram a day for the remaining three months. And when we went in, they had to tell me seven different ways that the cancer was gone. Mm. Wow, that's great. I just got chills. That's yeah. awesome. Was she on a uh, high THC or a 50-50 CBD THC? She was on a one-to-one ratio. One-to-one CBD. ratio. Was she, yeah, was she on the there. one-to-one right from the start, or did she do high THC first? No. Cat Jeter and Deep Green recommend the one-to-one CBDs one-to-one. for okay. the children, for minors. Okay. And I do have to say one thing. Um, Kat Jeter and Deep Green, when I met with them at a farmer's market in Washington and told them Taylor's story, Kat Jeter said, Mom, you've got to be tired after almost 10 years here. And I said, yeah, I am. And she said, you've got to be tapped, too. And I said, yeah, we are. You know. And she said, well, I'm going to donate your oil. And she donated all of my daughter's oil to her until she turned 18. And she does that for all children. That's a wonderful story. Mm-hmm. Now, when your daughter was cleared, but before we get to that, how did your daughter react to the one gram a day? It was harsh. It was rough for her. Um, the medicine is so complete, and the profile even includes the THCN and the CBDN. So she literally had, like, wall-melting hallucinations. Was all of her oil being given uh, orally? Yes. Okay. And she could have split the doses into quarter gram doses or whatever works for you throughout the day. But she just wanted to get the gram in and get it done. And that way she could um, sleep about a 10-hour night, wake up, get breakfast, and her tutor would come in and work with us at home. Because of being in a legal state, like Washington, I worked with her school, CPS, the law enforcement, and everyone to let them know what we were doing. And the school agreed to have her tutored at home while she was on the dosing. So it worked best for us to give a one-time dose so she could have that clear portion of the day to do her schoolwork. Was she ever apprehensive about taking it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she didn't like the way that it made her feel at times, and that sometimes it was a bit of a struggle. I mean, I never forced it down her in any way, mm-hmm. but there were definitely talks where we had to reason it out, and that's when Kat and I decided to go ahead, and we felt that she had gotten enough, and so we could reduce it safely to that quarter gram to make her more um, comfortable until we could get to the next MRI. Now, when your daughter was uh, diagnosed as being clear, mm-hmm. how did she react? We both were in shock. <laughs> I, you, you, don't, you don't think about, you know, this is the funny part about a journey like this. You kind of think that, oh, my God, you'd be jumping up and down and screaming and everything. It, it's really different. It's more like... Imagine if you'd ran a 10-year-long marathon, but your adrenaline had been so high while you were running through this marathon that you didn't realize until you stopped and took inventory that you had spears and things that had been thrown at you and hit you all through the journey. 
So it's almost like you get the news and it's so surreal. Mm-hmm. And that's when you can finally relax enough to realize just how truly devastating the whole journey was. It takes quite a while before it can really sink in and you can start healing. It isn't a matter of, oh, you're cancer free. Mm-hmm. Cancer is a lot more than just those cells. It affects the family in a very, very harsh way. And it has taken us the last three years to continually work on our personal healing now to get beyond cancer and start embracing life again. Well, I can imagine that after she has been found to be clear, I mean, this is a long, this is a journey of many years, that once you get that announcement, you're right, you don't jump up with joy. You smile, you're happy, but then the adrenaline starts to withdraw from your system. And Mm -hmm. I I imagine you'd be very tired, you'd be fatigued, you'd be worn out, and uh, you'd be emotionally exhausted. Oh, yeah. I was on an emotional wreck. I mean, how can one person be experiencing so much joy, fatigue, and sorrow all at the same time? You know, I mean, and it hasn't really been that easy for us since. I mean, you would think that, okay, she's cleared, and we're coming up on this three-year MRI, and... In actuality, for the three months or so before an MRI, my daughter is an emotional wreck. Scanxiety. Yeah, it's what we call scanxiety. Scanxiety. Yeah. 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 All parents, people that you know, I speak to with cancer, talk about that—that that whole scanxiety issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're trying to be positive, but it's it's always there in the background. You had a bit of that when you went for your first scan after yep. you started taking oil. Didn't you? I did. Yeah, yep. you bet. I didn't go back for a year. Oh my goodness! Because <laughs> I didn't yeah, want any more bad news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the six months was hard because we'd been on that three month protocol, and I just wanted to know. You know, I just yeah. wanted to know. <laughs> Wow. And then I've got a kid telling me, I know it's coming back. I know it's growing, Mom. I know it is. I can feel it. I can tell you it's there. And you're trying to keep them calm, but at one point you just want to tell them, please stop. Oh, wow. You know, Karen, uh, I recall doing an interview with a gentleman from Vancouver whose daughter had brain cancer. And when she started taking the oil, he said that she told him that she could uh, feel the fizzing, fizzing. the fizzing sound. Um, not sound, but just kind of feel the fizzing in her head. Could your daughter, did she experience the same thing? Yeah, she did. She said that it sound, it felt like somewhere in your neck or something, like a you know when a water hose is pink, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you can hear that little bubbling mm-hmm. going just getting through the line. Yeah. She said that's kind of what it felt like going up into her head. Isn't that interesting? We've had yeah, sev- we've had several people yeah. say the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, how old was uh, how old was Taylor when she was diagnosed as being free of brain cancer? Fifteen. Fifteen. So yeah. this is from six to fifteen. And how old is she yeah. today? Eighteen. Eighteen. And mm-hmm. how is she today, physically and emotionally? Emotionally, um, because of the scan coming up. I mean, you know, she goes back and forth with some depression. It, this. It's very isolating, you know, Um, especially when you have brain cancer and people don't get it. They just don't get it. Um, My child was ostracized and teased and bullied 
and even the teachers didn't know how to handle her. So when she could no longer read because that was in her language control center of her brain, a teacher thought that putting her finger on the table and tapping read, read, read on the words would would help Taylor to read. It, mm-hmm. It's I went in and told the teacher, okay, we're going to play a game. I just come in with an axe and I've chopped your arms off. Now clap, clap, clap. And she looked at me and she said, well, I can't clap without arms. I said, bingo. And my daughter can't read without that part of her brain. Let me be a good teacher and show you how to clap. And I told the teacher, why don't you take your shoes off, honey, and I'll teach you how to clap with your feet. And I said, now any teacher that's worth their weight would find a way to help my daughter clap with her feet. We're going to have to find an alternate route to get this child to understand how to read, which we wound up doing with a program called Linda Mood Bell. And Taylor actually learned how to read using colored blocks. It was so amazing to watch. Such a great program for them to use. So, um... Emotionally, you know, we still deal with issues. You don't go through that type of harassment and that type of uh, issue in life without having a lot of emotional issues, especially considering the fact that Taylor is very high-functioning, and therefore she woke being very aware of her shortcomings. So it led to a lot, lot of frustration. Physically, she's doing great. Um, she just graduated high school on time. Wow. And, yeah, and she has a tattoo license. She is now a, a licensed tattoo artist. So she's Good doing great. Her. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really proud of her. I couldn't be more proud. How are her friends knowing that uh, she has had brain cancer? Well, since we moved, it's been a lot better um, because these kids didn't know her before and after. Unfortunately, she's had to be in special education all of her high school and junior high years. And so that kind of makes you an oddball. And yeah, a there's a certain stigma, isn't there, that goes without. Absolutely. And, and so, unfortunately, her um, pool of friends has been very limited. Mm-hmm. But um, at least those that do know actually think it's pretty cool. They're like, "Oh my god, that's really cool!" You know, you yeah. you you cured cancer with cannabis, and yeah. and we of course are we don't we tell everybody absolutely. Like I'm gonna, you've seen the um, cannabis is safer than alcohol shirts. Well, I'm gonna get one that says um, fico is safer than ganglioglioma. So right. that people have to ask you what it means, you know? Yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Good for you. How did the rest of the family react to uh, Taylor's outcome? Oh, they were elated. Um, my father actually wound up with esophageal cancer a couple of years ago. And after Taylor's cure, he, um, he went through the radiation and the chemo. But um, he actually cured his esophageal cancer and when they went he was the only person i know that was in radiation therapy that didn't get one single burn he didn't lose one single hair off of his head and when they went down his throat with the scope they couldn't even tell he'd ever had cancer 
So my family is all true believers. I mean, we've seen it help too many people. And Taylor and I have been blessed to be able to educate other cancer patients and see other people get cured as well with the oil. Karen, can I ask you another question about the oil? Because this is the type of thing I get asked all the time that people are going to want to know. Uh, So was she on particular strains each time and was it the same strain or did they switch it up or was it was it a combination of strains it's a combination of strains one of the things that um deep green does that sets it apart from a lot of the other oils is that um they will only and have always even before the 502 legislation in the state of washington they have only used tested pure organic flour in any of their oils and um, what Kat does is takes all of the test sheets and she'll find out what the levels are of each marker in each strain and she knows what her target is so she will mix the different strains to make sure she's got the right level of markers in all of it yes okay and was this all indica or indica dominant or was it sativa as well do you know um, it was high CBD for the children. She uses a high CBD. And for Taylor, we chose um, an indica hybrid. but So it was more of a hybrid mix okay. than her medications. Okay, with, with THC with it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. There okay. was like yeah, 800 that's, that's milligrams of THC per dose. Yeah, because you definitely... You definitely need the THC as well. Oh, yeah, because the CBD is what stops the cancer, but the the THC THC is what actually kills the cancer. Cancer. So you need both. Yeah, I just wanted wanted to be clear on that for people listening. Yeah. Yeah. Karen, do you take uh, cannabis oil yourself? Yes, I do. Has it helped you in any way? Absolutely. I was on um, a 75 milligram fentanyl patch and taking 10 um, morphine tablets a day. I have a bone disease. That's why I was a cannabis patient. Um, I have osteonecrosis from a doctor having given me um, very high doses of steroids when I was younger for a long period of time. So my bones are dying and crumbling. I've um, had shoulder replacements since the age of 30 on one and 32 on the other. And uh, I have no bone marrow in about 10 inches of each of my femurs. And I have it in my back and my ankle. I've lost 90 pounds. I um, am off all opiate medications after one month on the oil. And um, my diabetes is under control. I no longer take insulin or medication for that. I'm at a normal range on my A1C, and my blood pressure has decreased into almost a normal range. I'm like a different person now. I I have my life back because I remember being on the opiates and stuff. I would be laying on the couch looking at my dishes in the sink going, yeah, I need to wash those. But I just couldn't. I didn't have any energy. I felt sick all the time, and it never really managed my pain. And the difference with the Pico is that I can dose myself, and I all of a sudden have energy because of the absence of pain without having that sick feeling that I was getting because I was having to take 10 nausea pills a day just to be able to take the opiates, which can't 
cannot be healthy for your body if you have to take a medicine to mask the symptoms of another medicine. Karen, wonderful story. Thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank you very much for giving us an opportunity to spread the word. Thank you so much, Karen. Thank you, and congratulations with you on your journey as well. Ah, thanks. And we apologize for some of the hissing sound you heard on that recording. It was a Skype issue. It wasn't at our end. And uh, unfortunately, it was unavoidable, but um, we'll do what we can to try and correct it next time. Wherever you are in the world, thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio Podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Tune into a major journey podcast today, where guests take listeners on journeys and immerse themselves in the roller coaster ride both in and out of the cannabis space that brought them to where they are today. Throughout our conversations, guests share valuable lessons that they've learned along the way that listeners can use to empower growth both in their personal and professional lives. Check out A Major Journey today on all major podcast platforms.